Well, welcome again, everyone, here this morning, and a warm welcome again, everyone worshiping with us online. Uh, you know, you guys know how I like to look at Bible verses, and I kind of like to dig into them and look at not just what they say, but what they don't say. And I like to do this because I think sometimes when we look at our faith, um, it's a little bit like looking at an old house. If you, if you, I don't know how many of you have been out east or came from out east, but they have some of these really old houses that will start. I remember them in Pennsylvania like this, right? The old house would start with just a log cabin or like something they would make in stone. And it would have like two rooms and a pot-bellied stove in the middle, right? And they would cook on that stove and it was just this little, it was just this little building and, you know, and they cut their own wood and they ground their own flour and they liked it, gosh darn it. But it wasn't big enough, right? So then along would come electricity, and then they would add another room, and then central heating would come, and they'd add another room, and then they got plumbing, right? So then they'd add, start adding bathrooms, and those would get attached, and then, you know, grandma would get older, and so then, well, then we'd add a wing for grandma, and the next thing you know, you had this house that looked like five different houses attached. Some of those are really cool. If you've ever been in some of those, you know, the doors are different heights and stuff. It's just all character everywhere. But if you're growing up and you're a kid and you've only ever known the house with all the, all the additions, you kind of forget what it was like to be in the original one. And the additions are good. They're helpful. They have a purpose. But it, sometimes it's good to kind of step back and remember what the house initially was. And I bring this up because I think sometimes our faith is a little bit like that. Uh, Christianity started simply, right? It was Jesus. It was 12 people. It wasn't a lot. And then it grew, right? So then they started getting churches and meeting undergrounds. Then they had to start getting pastors and deacons. And then it grew some more. And then they added bishops. And now, now we've got, you know, billions of people and multiple denominations and and libraries and libraries full of doctrines and theological insights. And it's, you know, most of the stuff that's been added has been good stuff. They're good insights. But it can be easy, I think, if you've grown up kind of in an environment where you've learned those insights and those ideas, that when you go back to the Bible and you open the Bible, it can be easy to read into the Bible something it doesn't say but was somebody's interpretation from later, if that makes sense. And sometimes we, we put stuff into, we put stuff in between the lines that maybe isn't in the lines. And, um, and this matters because, uh, well, let's give an example. Uh, we'll look at our reading today from the book of Acts. Uh, this is a story where we have Peter, who Jesus, was Jesus' right-hand man. And in the book of Acts, remember, Jesus has already died, he's ascended, and so the disciples are now in charge. And Peter is sitting down and he's talking to this Roman guy named Cornelius. And he says, Acts 10, Then Peter began to speak to them, Cornelius and these Romans around him, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So the big part of this that's music to all those Romans' ears is, oh, I, don't, I can be a follower of God regardless of how I'm born. I don't have to be born into the faith. 
And Peter says, the next part, of course, is that being a part of the faith, being a part of this new Christian community is based on your worship and what you do, right? Two things a follower does. You fear God, so when you fear, think honor, respect, worship, and you do what is right. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. You fear God and you do what is right. That's what a God follower does. And when you do that, you are acceptable to God, as it says. You are acceptable to God. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say anything about going to heaven or going to hell. It doesn't say whoever worships God avoids the fires of hell. It doesn't say that. It just says, is acceptable to God. Now, did your mind go where my mind went every time I used to read this, straight to, oh, well, to be acceptable, you get into heaven. I would assume you probably wouldn't be raised from the dead if you weren't acceptable, but um, it, it doesn't really actually say that. It just says you're acceptable to God today. So why am I sort of splitting hairs about this? Let's run a thought experiment. Uh, imagine, just imagine, like John Lennon said, we'll run the John Lennon thought experiment. Just imagine there was no heaven and there was no hell. Now, I'm a believer, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a believer in the resurrection, but this is a thought experiment, right? So just imagine, God is real, the Holy Spirit's real, God is present and works in our lives and in our world. God gives us blessings. God gives us power to change the world. But just imagine that when we die, it's just like in the Old Testament. We just go to a dark place called Sheol and we get sleep. And that's it. Now, again, I believe in the resurrection, but let's run this experiment. Imagine then that this life was all we had. All we got is this life. There isn't a second one. There's just this life and a lot of sleep and time. Would you live this life with God if it's all you got? Would you still follow Jesus if this life was the only one you had? Would, would you still bother with church and prayer and, and, and congregational meetings? if you knew that we all ended up in the same place after death. Would you do it all just for the difference it makes in this life? Think about your own faith story. Kind of run in your head your own faith story. How did I come to know God? How did it grow in me? When did I encounter God in the faith? Every one of us has a different story, so you can kind of play it in your head for a minute. When you first encountered God, what was it like? Your first encounter with God, what was that first encounter like? I'm going to bet, because you're here, that it was a good thing. That it was a good encounter. It was a good experience. Love, acceptance, Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. Now ask yourself the question, did your first encounter have anything to do with heaven or hell? Was your first encounter growing up, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell, and then somebody says, hey, did you know that with Jesus you can avoid hell? Oh, thank God. No, I'm not going to hell. 
Maybe in the Middle Ages, but I don't run into a whole lot of that anymore. It wasn't that way for me. I didn't grow up worried about hell, you know. For me, it had nothing to do with it. Not didn't too, spend two minutes worried about it. It had to do with God, a God, whether God was present and real in this world. Now, I bring this up because I think if we look, actually looked at our own faith stories, we would find that while we believe that a lot of the teachings in the Bible are about heaven and hell, and we get worried that if there isn't a fear of hell, there will be no need for Jesus. I, I think those are intellectual thoughts. But in our own faith lives, in our own hearts deep down, we're here because we've encountered God in this world. I want to live like Jesus in this world. That's why we're here. And that fear that Jesus will be irrelevant and unnecessary without hell, that always seems to have more to do with like intellectual debates about the nature of universalism and these kind of things. I don't live most of my life debating universalism. You see, I look at the Bible, and I see, and particularly the Gospels, and I see a lot of people very amazed at what Jesus did, and amazed at what they said, and amazed at the way he changed their lives and he healed them, and the way he cast out demons and all the things he did. They were amazed at that. It was life-changing. And I see a lot of people, in reality, who really believe in the heaven and hell thing, who take that seriously, but who tend to reduce everything about Jesus to one simple question. Am I in or am I out? It's kind of my beef with the heaven and hell thing. It makes, it makes everything irrelevant except one question. Am I in or am I out? Because essentially, all the others don't really matter as much if that's what matters, right? Am I in or am I out? I drew a diagram of it. Don't ask me why hell ended up higher up. That's, that, there's no meaning to that. That's just me with my markers. Now, the Apostle Paul said that if there was no resurrection, we were wasting our time. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And that was kind of Paul's take. So we do believe in a resurrection. But I think that's what most of us think, is that if there isn't that fear of an eternal punishment, what's to motivate us? You know, let's just pull out Tinder and call the drug dealer and live it up, right? Let's get smashed. But I think, in reality, if you look at the world as it is, it's a lot the opposite. Because Christianity's been reduced in so many people's minds to just about whether you get in or you don't get in, that that becomes all they care about. And we figure, as, as long as we can figure out exactly where that line is and exactly what the absolute bare minimum is that one must do to get over that line, everything else is a free pass. I can be as mean as I want. The crime is not a crime unless it's a hell-causing crime, right? So basically, I don't get punished. There's no gradations. I, I, I know that the medieval church invented purgatory to try to give you gradations, 
But that's not in the Bible. Right? So this is where you get lots of this people saying the, the, the good person stuff, right? I'm a good person. You know, I'm a good person. I don't run around kicking puppies. I, 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 I don't kill people. I change my Facebook status occasionally to represent a cause. I put a, I put a, I put a design around my picture. I'm a good person. I don't need God. I don't need religion. I'm a good person. See, I saw that puppy. Edit it. As long as it doesn't get me to hell, who cares? Now, do I buy that? No, that's not what our faith is about. It's about, in large part, what we do in this life. I like to think that if that thought experiment were run, if Jesus came back, if Jesus came back and he showed up and he said, hey people, I have a big announcement, and everyone packed into the stands, Jesus, let me hear your announcement. Jesus said, okay children, I've come back again. I have to tell you, John Lennon was right. Then they're like, it was McCartney's fault. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> LSD gets you a higher consciousness. No, that's not what I mean. Yellow Submarine's a children's movie. No, that's not what I mean. By children, John Lennon was right. There is no heaven. There's only this life. Now, I'm still here, you know? I'm still here. I still want you to be, to, to be faithful and love God and love your neighbor and make a sacrificial life to change the world and help others and be a caring, compassionate, self-sacrificing person. I like to think that if that happened, I would still follow because in essence, I kind of already am. I'm already living that way. I don't fear hell. I don't worry about heaven. I already got to play the harp in college, so check. Been there, done that. It's an awesome instrument, by the way. Today is the celebration of the baptism of our Lord, when Jesus comes to be baptized by John in the River Jordan. And I always thought, reading this, like this is so unnecessary. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? What sin is he washing away? I mean, he certainly doesn't need to worry about heaven. He's got a already got a seat waiting for him. Well, if that's the only reason we get baptized, if that's all it's about, yeah, then it's not needed. And John even looked at Jesus and asked that exact same question. What? You, you want me to baptize you? And Jesus, and, and Jesus said, and John said, no, you should baptize me. Jesus said, no. It is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. It is necessary for the worship of God and to do what is right that I should be baptized. It is necessary for the life that I'm going to live in this world as a human, that I live according to the ways of God, that I become like everyone else, that I acknowledge my need for God's grace, that I become a part of this movement that I join in. It is necessary to do what is right and to be faithful and to fear God. It is necessary for me to live my life today as one of God's followers. So to have the same start that everyone else does. It's part of how it goes. So in our world today, where nobody really cares about heaven or worries about hell, 
we would do our best to get back to focusing on things like talking like Jesus, doing things like Jesus. We'd be better to talk about good Samaritans and prodigal sons and eating with sinners and tax collectors than damnation and punishment and whether the third level is ruled by Mephistopheles or Beelzebul. I can imagine no heaven. It's loss, but I can imagine it. And at the end of the day, if push came to shove, it'd be okay with me. Even though I believe in it, I'm okay if all I get in this life, if I get Jesus in this life only, I'm okay with that. Because Jesus is all I need. And that's why I follow him. Amen.